Mixtape with Scott, a podcast devoted to listening to the personal stories of living economists as told by them. I am your host, Scott Cunningham, a professor of economics at Baylor University. Today, it is my profound honor to have on the show Dr. Andreu Mascalel, a towering figure in the field of microeconomic theory and general equilibrium. Many of you probably gasped when you saw that he was on the show this week, not because you have some deep interest in the existence proofs of competitive equilibria, but rather because Dr. Mascalel has been your teacher, along with Dr. Michael Winston and Jerry Green. They taught you and me graduate microeconomics. Their book has been the most widely used textbook on microeconomic theory for decades now and probably will be for a while. So it is with great honor that he was my guest this week. This interview covers a long life. We cover growing up in Barcelona, Catalonia, Spain, where he was uh, arrested for getting into what you might call good trouble. Uh, for printing out leaflets about democracy and other forms of protest during a dictatorship. Made his way to the United States where he got his PhD from the University of Minnesota in 72, then went on to California, Berkeley for a postdoc, as well as ending up at Harvard, where the lecture notes for Micro 1, 2, and 3 uh, ultimately turned into the textbook that you have sitting on your shelf. Uh, he returned to Spain in 1995, where he established the Barcelona School of Economics, as well as became deeply involved in Catalan politics, and most recently actually faced a contentious legal battle related to his uh, connection to the Catalan independence, a subject that we're going to delve into in the latter part of the interview. Before I turn you over to it, uh, though, I wanted to just say a couple of things. First, uh, I am not a micro-theorist. Um, furthermore, I don't know the sociological history of general equilibrium and all its tributaries over the late 20th and early 21st century. I really like to know that kind of thing when I talk to these uh, core people, but I don't. Um, so you're probably going to know more than me. Uh, a random person would know more than me about general equilibrium theory. Uh, you're going to be a little surprised maybe that I... Uh, don't pick up on the low-hanging fruit opportunities to go down interesting, uh, interesting stories. Uh, and, you know, I, I wish I could have, but I didn't. Um, if I held myself, though, to the standard of being an expert on everything uh, before I interviewed those experts, I wouldn't interview anybody. Um, the podcast really isn't about me. It's about the people that I interview and they're, and it's about the profession and it's about you. And so what we lack in this, in technical depth, we make up for it in the breadth of what we cover. So we do, we basically traverse a life, the life of a man who is not just a, an economic giant, but also a public servant, an activist, and really also, importantly, a deeply committed educator. Um, the episode's a little bit longer as a result of that. It's two hours long, but I promise it's worth every minute. Um, so... Sit back, grab a cup of coffee, join us in this fascinating journey through the life and contributions of Dr. Andreu Mescalel. I hope you find this as interesting, as inspiring as I did. Uh, thanks so much. Like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff. Thanks a lot. Well, uh, it is my uh, honor to have with me this week on the Mixtape uh, podcast with me, someone that uh, I think everyone uh, listening ha has known for uh, ever since they started their first year of graduate school, uh, Dr. Andre Mascalel. Is it, sir, is it on, is it Andre? 
Andreu. Andreu. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, this is uh, Dr. Mascalel Andreu. Um, it is a pleasure to have you on the 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 podcast. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure uh, to be here too. Okay. Uh, can you tell me right now uh, what you're, uh, wh where you're working these days and what your title is? Uh, I am an emeritus uh, professor at uh, the uh, Universitat Pompeu Fabra of Economics in, uh, in, uh, in Barcelona, Catalonia, Spain. And, um, and I'm also affiliated with the Barcelona School of Economics. Oh, okay, great. And how long have you been there? How long have you been back in Barcelona? In uh, since '95, uh, when I was 50, me and my family made the jump uh, from the United States uh, to Europe. Okay, okay, great. Well, before before we get started, uh, I wanted to kind of start with what's called an icebreaker, where I'm from. Did, what's a vacation? that you took as a young person with your family that to this day you you still will remember with a lot of fondness? Yes, this is a nice, uh, a nice breaker. Uh, and um, the vacation I remember uh, the most from my youth is not with my family. And that may not be an independent event. Uh, so it was uh, my first vacation, not with my family, uh, was uh, a trip in the summer uh, with uh, friends organized by the school. So there was a teacher of the school with us, a priest, actually, and we made a trip to, to Britain. And oh. uh, the whole Britain, and uh, it was my first trip uh, with my parents to uh, a foreign uh, a foreign country, a much freer country that Spain was at that time. Mm. And uh, so I remember the, the cathedrals, the movies. And then I remember that I took a swim in Loch Ness. Oh, wow. You did? No monster. No monster. No. <laughs> very cold, but very cold, but no monster. <laughs> How old were you? Um, 16, I believe. Oh, wow. Wait, so why did you go on that? Was that with, with a high school group or something? Uh, it was a high school group, not, not directly from my school, uh, but it was a summer a summer activity. It was not ah. the first one. I had, I had done some other ones, but shorter. But that was a whole month going from town to town in, ah. uh, in Britain. Oh, I bet that was fun. So you had never, so you, you went with your other, was it most of your high school friends? Uh, it was like arranged to your school? With a number of high school friends. That is correct. Male uh, and female. Male and female. Wow. That sounds wonderful. I've never been to Loch Ness. That's, that's, uh, okay. So I recommend that when you go to take a swim. Yeah, take a swim. I'll check and see. Maybe this time the monster's out. Maybe it'll maybe it'll be out this time. <laughs> well, uh, so you grew up. So tell me about where you grew up exactly in Spain. Where I grew up in Barcelona. I was born in uh, Barcelona, and uh, I grew up there. I went to to high school. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I I did my primary and secondary education in the same school, just in front of my 
of my house. Uh, mm -hmm. It was uh, a religious, uh, a religious school. Uh, as many as many in Spain at that time of a of a local order called the Escolapia, and uh, that's where I spent twelve years. Mm. Mm. That was a Catholic. That was a Catholic religious school. Yes, in 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 uh, in Franco time, uh, religious uh, religious school meant uh, Catholic schools. Is that was that the main form of primary and secondary schooling throughout Ca uh, no, Catalan? No, no. Oh, no, was no. it? There, there was also uh, uh, public schools. Uh, it was fifty fifty. Mm. Uh, I went to to that school for no other reason that it was decent and it was just in front of where I live. So it was, it was easy for my parents to send me, uh, to send me there. Hmm. And it was, it was, uh, it was not great an okay, not great school, but uh, it was adequate. Hmm. Hmm. So what did your parents do for a living? Um, my uh, mother was a housewife, and uh, my father uh, owned uh, a small business, a small hardware uh, uh, business. Hmm. It was retail, and he made uh, it grow to a wholesale uh, business. It was in the family until uh, seven or eight years old. How many how many siblings did you have? None. I am, oh, you were an only child. An, on, an only child with huh. uh, with all the uh, advantage and disadvantages of having yeah. uh, of having and uh, uh, with that background, I ended I ended up having three child. So mm -hmm. that means that uh, the experience of being an only child was uh, not the not not the one that I uh, meant to duplicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what was the uh uh what was the what did you love about about your childhood being an only child in your family and just what what was the what are your best memories of when you were young? I uh I I had a, a good uh, youth uh, loving uh, loving parents uh um, I, I I I don't dare to select uh, to select here and there. It was a middle class family which progressively uh, became upper middle class. Um, I, I had a fortunate youth. Yeah. So and, uh, uh, I, I I wouldn't go beyond beyond this well so i don't really know where i don't know i, I was at barcelona uh, a month or two ago and so i saw the city how, how, how long ago oh yeah it, it was a month ago or what right was it yes. when i emailed you right. um right. and it was beautiful uh and but did you grow up sort of in the city center or were you outside of the city or what was it like city uh absolutely in the city center just in the border of the old city. So Barcelona has an old city and then an expansion around the old city. So I, I, I my youth was in the expansion, ah. uh, but next to the old, next to the old city. So I am very much, 
uh, uh, city boy, total ah, city boy. Yeah. I showed trees in the summer when we went to uh, to a summer uh, to a summer uh, house in maybe twenty kilometers from Barcelona. But otherwise, uh, I only saw the trees in the streets. Actually, Barcelona is full of uh, of uh, trees in the streets. And when I started to travel towards the north of Europe, I was very surprised to see that cities in Germany, for example, did not have trees in the streets. Mm. Very good reason for that. But uh, for me, a street uh, without trees uh, was not a real, really a street. <laughs> <laughs> well so what what kinds of activities did you like doing as a kid did you were there games that you liked or reading or socializing what what kind of things what did you enjoy as a young man um well i um, i have learned that uh, in my family i had the reputation of uh of uh, always uh always reading um, mm. uh, so I guess I must have been a, a good reader. For me, it was totally, it was totally natural. <laughs> um, besides that, uh, I play I played a lot of chess until I went cold turkey when I was eighteen or seventeen or eighteen because I saw it was too addictive. Also, I was not that very good, not that mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. uh, so reading and uh, walking in the city, I have always uh, liked that. I love architecture. Um, mm -hmm. I, in my youth, I also went uh, weekends uh, to uh, to the hills, uh, to excursion tre trekking mm -hmm. with uh, with an athletic. Uh, I'm sorry, with uh, with a club. Wow. Uh, I, I was never in the Boy Scouts uh, because there were no Boy Scouts in my, in my school, but I could have been in the Boy Scouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but you were a city boy. You loved the city. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was and I am a city boy. Uh -huh, you are a city boy. So, uh, well, so what were you like as a, um, okay, so I also had a, I also had a question. One, th this is kind of random, but when I was in Spain, um, I started to learn a little bit more about, it seems like Catalan has had a unique, a unique part within Spain. And I just saw one thing. W were you discouraged from speaking Catalan as a young person and you were supposed to speak Spanish mainly? Did I read that correctly? Uh, the school... Uh... I was supposed and to speak uh, Spanish uh, uh, only, of course, among ourselves, among the students, we spoke uh, Catalan or Spanish, depending on the mother tongue, but that was in the informal side. All the formal activities of the schools were in Spanish by law. Mm. Uh, at home, uh, my first language is uh, Catalan. My, my, my mother and father were Catalan speakers. Uh, my mother was uh, was uh, born in Catalonia from and probably Catalan from many generations. My father uh, moved uh, from when he was a teenager from uh, Valencia, from Alicante actually, but but there they are Catalans, uh, they, they are Catalan or Valencian speaker, which is the same. 
so uh, the, the language at home was uh, Catalan. Mm. Uh, but I learned Spanish very early because of school, um, because of school. Uh, but uh, no, at school, by law, uh, Catalan was, uh, was not allowed. Is is it was? I, I guess I was asking just because I just wanted to understand the context. It wasn't. Um, uh, was it politically tense? Because I was trying to read a little bit. There was an entire Wikipedia page about language in Catalan, uh, and I know that sometimes in some places that pro that like requirement to only speak a certain language is a reflection of some political tension. And I just was wondering, was, was that something, was that, was that the case or is that a misreading no, of it? No, of course that was the case. Uh, okay. The, the, impo the, uh, the, impo the marginalization and, uh, and non-officiality and no, no Catalan school, etc., was an imposition of the, of the Franco dictatorship. I mean, yeah. Spain was a dictatorship. Uh, 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 Franco had uh, won a civil war with the help of uh, of uh, Mussolini and Hitler mm. against uh, essentially a coalition of uh, Republican and left uh, Spanish forces. Mm -hmm. And the case of uh, Catalonia and the Basque Country um, um, autonomist uh, forces. Um, I don't want to call call them nationalist forces, not to mix with uh, with other things. But let's say uh, uh, um, self government forces. And in fact, during the Republic, uh, both uh, the, Basque, the Basque Country and Catalonia had uh, an autonomy institute. And had a, there was a Catalan government, there was a, a Basque uh, government, uh, and that was part of the uh, of the things uh, Franco rebelled against. So he won the war, and he eliminated the left, uh, he eliminated democracy, and he eliminated uh, the uh, the uh, the autonomous. Uh, the autonomous regimes in the Basque Country and in uh, in Catalonia, and uh, in the case of the language, uh, uh, he imposed uh, that all the newspapers and media had to be in Spanish, and the schools had to be in Spanish. Mm. Uh, this uh, in the in the forty years of dictatorship, uh, this uh, became uh, progressively softened. So mm. this was very, very tough uh, at the beginning of the 40s when it looked the act that the Axis would win, then started to soften up. And by the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s, there were many publications in, uh, in, uh, in, 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 in Catalan. They were allowed then and, um, and the school was more mixed. That must and, have... Go ahead. Sorry. Um, the Catalan issue was a Catalan, but, but let me say, let, let me say since you ask in politics, yes. I mean the thing to retain is Spain was a dictatorship, and therefore uh, progressively there was uh, there was um, uh, uh, a democratic movement uh, developed 
mostly involving the the new the younger the younger generation uh, and that was uh, so all over Spain and um, university students were very implicated on very mm -hmm. implicated in that and uh, they were at the forefront of uh, of democratic uh, protest and the protests were for democracy yeah. and in this package in this package in the case of Catalonia and the Basque country there was uh, there was also the uh, the reivindication of the of the rights of uh, of uh, the Catalan community so by the end of the dictatorship the slogan in, in the streets uh, was uh, uh, amnesty pe taking people out of the jail uh, democracy and uh, and autonomy, uh, an statute of autonomy, autonomy, autonomy uh, uh, regime. Well, you were watching uh, this so as a young the, person. So the political issue in Catalonia was not just the Catalan issue, yeah. but it was also the more general uh, democracy issue. And this is so. When you're describing that, are you uh, describing that you were sort of living, uh, watching that softening happen? Is that right? So you would have been, as a young person, under that much more harsher period of a dictatorship, and then watching it as you went through high school and then college, you were you were observing changes. Uh, yes, uh, but there were also changes. Yeah, it was changes in all in all side. Uh, my own family. Uh, was uh, on the mother's side. The father's side was very political, mm. but from my mother's side, it was in the in the defeated side. Mm? Ah. Uh, uh, so uh, um, I uh, I got at home the anti-Franco sentiment and the Catalan sentiment. Uh -huh. uh, my mother, for example, when I was a child, uh, insta there was a whole year that instead of reading me uh, stories at night uh, before going to sleep, he she would get me to sleep with uh, explaining me the history of Catalonia. Your mother did? And my mother did. So See what the, your mother's side was more political? More political. Got it. The pro-democracy the pro feeling, I got it at home. Uh-huh. Uh, other people, but then uh, in the street, you uh, you didn't be, uh, act on it. Right. Uh, but uh, as I went through high school, and especially in university, I already arrived to the university uh, with uh, a strong... Uh, Political consciousness, let's say, I'm yeah. very, I'm very eager uh, to participate in uh, in the university uh, democratic movement, which I knew it existed. Right, right. It was already perceptible. Yeah, because you know, I the reason why I asked this is I was just kind of thinking about it. Um, a lot of the times I have guests, and they're Americans, and so the the American. I uh, guess it's just, it's always kind of a peaceful time, although there was the Vietnam War. But as I was just kind of thinking, 
you must have gone through even at the high school level, just this level. Was there like a level of political agitation that you would have felt about the, about the injustice of what your, what your surrounding, your political surroundings were like, even as in high school, that was, that was not an uncommon, you and your, your classmates had that level of, of thoughtfulness. In my time in high school was not yet that common. Later it became very common. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but as I got to university, my years at university uh, were the years where uh, the political activism was uh, a, a minority, uh, a very a, a very minority activity in which I participated heavily. Oh, until five years later, it was a widespread, uh, oh. a widespread thing. So there were years from 1962 to 1966, 67, uh, where the Spanish university made the flip from being oh. Kiesan, Kiesan with, uh, with a focus of dissent uh, to being uh, overwhelmingly um, anti-Franco. Uh, anti oh, oh. So you, when you were at the University of Barcelona, it was uh, it must have been a little risky then to be uh, a pro democratic student in a public way. Is that right? Yes, it was risky. It was also very exciting. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I I became a political agitator, uh -huh. uh, which study economics on the side. Yeah. Okay. I, I was arrested a number of times. Uh, Oh. Uh, put on trial once, uh, but I was lucky because, uh, I mean, I had uh, fellow students that ended up spending years in prison. Mm. I, and I was uh, in, in two pieces. I only spent uh, 40 days. Mm. Uh, and um, and uh, uh, the, the, the one that I had... Uh, uh, I was I was in a in a trial in a, by the judge, uh, and we ended up uh, being declared uh, innocent. So uh, I was fortunate, yeah, and, uh, and didn't suffer uh, any uh, any any damage. What was the what were the what were the uh, the charges or what were the kinds of activities that would have led to something like an arrest back then? Well, in political agitation involved political agitation, so making uh, underground cells, calling to, to demonstrations, uh, oh. printing printing leaflets, and uh, and uh, the police uh, was after us, and once in a while uh, they got to us, and uh, then we recover, etc. I was on the left, uh -huh. and. And so, uh, but but nothing. Uh, I I I don't think uh, nothing particularly notable in relation to uh, to the experience of uh, university life under under dictatorship. So yeah. uh, over my life, I have known uh, colleagues, economists, etc., coming from countries. Mm -hmm. uh, 
with uh, this type of regimes that yeah. also went through through uh, through similar uh, through similar experiences. Right. All the while, let, let me say that my uh, my very purposeful purpose during university times was uh, to not to lose uh, any any uh, university year. The studies were five years, so my purpose was to to pass all the uh, in due time and uh, from the moment i entered university it was clear to me that after i finished and did the military service uh, i will go abroad to learn uh, to learn economics mm. so i learned during the university because i had to pass the courses and because there were some interesting professors but but it was very clear to in my mind that to to become an academic economist, and I wanted to to be that from from seventeen, from year seventeen, and I knew that the university was my thing. Mm. That uh, I had to uh, I had to get my degree with decent with decent grades, decent, uh, and uh, then make the necessary moves mm-hmm. to go to uh, to study abroad. And my idea was from very early, from very early. That abroad meant uh, Britain um, uh, rather than uh, rather than France, mm. because France was uh, um, let's say uh, let's say conventional economics, what I will call conventional economics, but uh, the economics I wanted to learn. So modern economics was uh, was clear to me less developed. Uh, Formalized, less formalized as a teaching, as a, a, by a teaching conduit in France than in uh, that in Britain. So my aim was to go to to Britain. Then I ended up in the United States uh, yeah. because I had a fellow because I got a fellowship for the United States and not for Britain. And because uh, when I got that fellowship uh, and I am jumping, when I got that fellowship, I saw that some of the professors. In uh, that I could have uh, in um, in Minnesota, where like Leo Hurwitz, were already professors I have encountered uh, during my university years. During oh. the time during the time that in my university years I devoted to study, which was uh, I don't know if I should be ashamed to confess, which was less than to uh, to agitate. Uh, but still a considerable amount. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I fall in love uh, with uh, with mathematical economics, with microeconomics, with uh, with uh, Kuhnman's three essays, uh, with uh, the Brest theory of value, which I found in French uh, in the library, and which I didn't, which fascinated me, but didn't get a word from it. We didn't understand a word. <laughs> me. I read it in French. I didn't know English then. I also read uh, the history of economic analysis of uh, Chumpeter in Italian ah. uh, because I didn't know English and it was translated into Italian. And uh, so, uh, and I also discovered during my studies that I was good at math, something I didn't know. Yeah. But, uh, in one occasion, if I can explain an anecdote, yep. I had 
Turraj from uh, from jail from uh, <laughs> was seven seven days and they put me off one hour before the exam of mathematics so I rushed I rushed to the I got in time for the exam and I got a very good grade and so I I said Andreu you must be good in math. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, that's yeah, that's right. That's uh, that was probably a good signal that you were good at it. <laughs> what happened at age 17 that made you fall in love with economics? What happened? Uh, in 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 Spain, as in most as in most in Europe, and, and in contrast with the United States, one has to choose uh. A path in life at seventeen it's it's absurd uh, it's absurd uh, but uh, um, here in europe we we read stories of American successful people and say successful in business and yeah. they say he started as a historian on he studied philosophy and you say, "Wow, how strange and then you understand how the then later one understands how is the American system. You basically have a liberal arts education and you have a major and a minor. Uh, in Europe, you declare what you want to be in life at 17, yeah. uh, which is rather absurd. Right. Um, so when I was 17, I wanted uh, to be a philosopher. Ah. Uh, but I, I already was tracked into sciences because of my baccalaureate didn't allow me to go into philosophy. Oh. So I choose the most literary, it's a paradox, huh, isn't it, given what I did later. Uh, so I choose the most literary thing I could take from, with a science uh, baccalaureate. Yeah. yeah. And that was economics. Oh. Besides, economics had two, two other advantages. One is... Uh, my father loved that I uh, took economics because he he had the hope that I will follow the family business. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons I don't like the idea. I didn't like. I have never liked the idea of being an only child yeah. because uh, you may find yourself with the with the situation of having to disappoint your parents if you don't yeah. want to follow the family business. I must say that. My parents were very understanding when I didn't do that. But economics opened that door. Uh, mm. And the second reason is that in my time, economics was the choice, uh, uh, the choice uh, track to if you wanted to change the world. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, so you wanted that, and now probably. Now probably is not so completely, but probably uh, maybe sociology or political science or anthropology will be more uh, will be more attractive. But at my time, if you wanted to uh, to change society, mm. the economics was a good uh, was a good thing. Yeah. Then uh, when I entered economics, I began to study it and I fell in love with it and didn't have the temptation to uh, to change it. So in college. You declare this econ track in high school. Yeah, uh, yes, at the end of high school. At the end of high school, it, but yeah. you had it was more of a compromise because you wanted to be a philosopher, and 
econ was literary and then it had these other externalities. Uh, right. But then you actually enroll at the University of Barcelona in a class and something changes. Is that right? You actually start to like it. You start to yeah, love well, it. Well, I was perfectly predisposed. I think that people uh, or most people, and that uh, includes myself, are not so so predetermined in life. Uh, maybe if I had gone into philosophy, I would be a philosopher today. You know, maybe right. if I had gone into mathematics, I would be a, 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 a mathematician. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I don't know. I only can say that I liked economics. Uh, I had a, a propensity from the beginning uh, for the more uh, theoretical aspects yeah uh, for the more formal aspects uh, as i have as i have said already uh cummins uh, the brain many but many other uh, but many 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 others and in a natural way yeah i gravitated toward uh, theory although uh, uh, initially and because of uh, of the people with which i trained it was uh, macroeconomics and uh, and continue with my progression uh, the when i finished uh, my studies in barcelona actually i finished them in bilbao because i was kicked out from barcelona uh, but i could finish in bilbao um, i went to madrid and spent a couple of years uh, being uh, being a, a being a sailor in the morning, um, and uh, if you think this, there is a bit of a paradox on that. If you think on the location of Madrid, uh, but yes, I was a sailor in the morning, mm. and in the afternoons I was uh, working with uh, a university professor, Juan Rojo. Uh, I'm sorry, me, um, Angel Rojo, which. Uh, he, he later became a prominent president of the Bank of Spain. At that time, was a university professor, trained abroad, was ma a macroeconomist. Mm. Uh, I worked with him, and uh, he's the one that uh, provided me and a friend of mine with the with the possibility of going to to Minnesota with the idea of studying macroeconomics. But uh, as soon as I got to Minnesota, I I follow the microeconomics line. Mm. So you felt even at Barcelona in those undergraduate classes, in those econ undergraduate classes, you could tell even then you wanted to study theory, even at the undergraduate level, you could feel it. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. And it was micro. It wasn't macro theory. It was micro that you were drawn to. Although with no, your kind of work, it, it was uh, at that at that point it was more macro than uh -huh. micro. Actually, anecdote. I am not ashamed about uh, on this because it doesn't tell me as much as it tell about uh, about the teacher that was occupying the place at that time. Um, I I uh, fail macro three times. Uh huh. And only pass the the thing in the fourth time. Oh yeah, the the macro preliminary exam. The micro, the micro was not. Oh, you, had, you, had, you failed the micro exam three times. The micro, the micro exam, I failed it uh, three three times. 
because uh, and it is a miracle that I was not torn off uh, from from micro. The reason is we had a textbook, we had uh-huh. a book at school, and the textbook in it it was a micro textbook, very influenced by uh, by Stackelberg. Stackelberg. Uh, yeah. Stackelberg was the founder of. Uh, Spanish academic economics. Really? Surprising, no? He had a uh, textbook that was, he had a micro. No, no, he, he, he trained a number oh. of students. Got it. He, he moved from, uh, as you know, Stackelberg uh, had a history with the, with the uh, Nazi regime. Oh, uh, I didn't know he, that. And he moved to uh, Spain in 43, so before the end. Oh, gosh. And he he trained a nucleus of students in Madrid that were the founders of uh, Spanish uh, Spanish academic economics. Wow. Uh, One of them. uh, uh, Yes, there is even a a little history on that that has to do with the uh, the Stackelberg uh, model yeah, so, uh, and the corporate direction. So he, you could interpret the Stackelberg models as saying that it is impossible for uh, all the corporations to be leaders. Uh, one has to be leader, the other has to be follower. So right. you have to leaders, it doesn't work. And this doesn't work. It means you have to have a regulated economy. So corporates have to be regulated uh, and fitted with the with the spirit of uh, a corporate. Uh, that was Stackelberg's own economy. But uh, I don't know those things too well. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, and I, and I don't want to make aspersions on yeah. on Stackelberg. He was a great economist, but anyhow, he was the founder. He, he moved from Germany to Spain in 43, when he found her. Oh. One of his disciples uh, uh, was, uh, the, 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 was the origin of all the micro-university professors in Spain. And oh. he wrote a book, which is not bad. The book is not bad. It, it's better that uh, it is not bad. But it's brutally dogmatic. It's, it's brutally dogmatic? It's a dogmatic book. So it's the... It's uh, it's the doctrine. So it's the doctrine as uh, um, and uh, was for me hard to uh, to. So when I was answering questions in my exams, I tried to, you know, to be a bit creative. That was oh, the, the first time I learned the book by memory. Yeah, right. I, I didn't see where you were going with that. Yep, and uh, pass. Right, right. So uh, this should have turned me off micro, but it didn't. Yeah. Because uh, I then uh, discovered the interest in micro. And I discovered it in Cummins, in the Mm. the debates over socialism. Remember, I was on the left. So the debates over socialism were interesting. Mm. Uh, uh, Oscar Oscar Lange, um, uh, etc. So... uh, the more formal economics uh, was very attractive, very attractive to me. Also, in general, the style of teaching economics uh, at that time was with variation. There were better professors and less better professors, 
but it was uh, on this issue, there are seven opinions. Right. Uh, somebody thinks this, somebody thinks that. And uh, my inclination was to know what what should I think by deriving it myself, by uh, yep. trying to... Uh, by trying to grasp uh, theory from uh, from inside rather than from uh, from an external exposure. I'm Absolutely. Absolutely. You should interrupt me and keep me uh, on track. Yeah. Did you find at Minnesota professors that were more like that? That that has Absolutely. Absolutely. There. Oh. I, um, but uh, there's a, an anecdote why I went to uh, to Minnesota because there was a fellowship available. Why was there a fellowship available? Because Walter Heller, uh, you remember Walter Heller was the uh, uh, macroeconomist. He had been chief of economic advisors and and the right hand in that capacity of Kennedy. Mm. Uh, he set up uh, with the help of. Uh, um, a wealthy, uh, a wealthy Minnesota bus businessman. He set up um, fellowships uh, to train Spanish economists in Minnesota yeah. uh, to prepare for the after Frank. Oh, and, so there was and, still there was still a connection to uh, Spain even at Minnesota. Um, yes, uh, the the connection was uh, soybeans. Oh. Uh, so uh, Spain imported soybeans, Minnesota exported soybeans. Yeah. And uh, the um, and some of the uh, uh, the trade uh, civil servants uh, uh, on the ministries were uh, not corrupt at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but uh, would uh, use the opportunity to uh, to incentivate um, um, academic activities yeah. and wealthy Minnesota uh, businessman, uh, which gave the fellowship, was also known as the Soybean King. Mm. So, uh, Dwayne Andreas, he played a minor role in, in Watergate. Oh. Um, and so uh, he... Uh, uh, he he put the money, uh, so he was involved with Spain, and he put the money the, between democratic uh, civil servants and university professors in Spain, Walter Heller with the economic uh, vision, uh, Dwayne Andreas uh, uh, being interested in fluid relations with Spain. Uh, this program was created, uh, and, it ha and it has been very successful. There were mm. almost 40, uh, in the years, there were almost 40 uh, Spanish uh, economists. Really? That got their PhD in Minnesota, and some of them became uh, ministers in Spain or huh. uh, later, later on. Wow. So much so that um, American train, uh, or, uh, during a while, American train economists were known in Spain collectively as Minnesotos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, to the irritation of the ones that had not been trained in Minnesota. Wow. Wow. Anyhow. So, so your first uh, year? Minnesota, yes, I, I found professors. Yeah. I found Leo Hurwich, 
uh, which uh, influenced me a lot. I found Hugo Sonnenschein. I found Ked Richter that ended up being uh, my thesis uh, director. Mm. I found uh, John, John Chipman and I found fellow students like uh, John Roberts. Uh, we were uh, at the same time. Oh, wow. There. So, so what were your expectations of finding a uh, dissertation topic when you got there? Was it just what? What was the what? What was it going to? How were you? How were you expected to find what you were going to do your dissertation on? And how did you do it? Well, one learns it along the way. No, I didn't know the mechanics of uh, of finding a dissertation topic, so I learned uh, along the way how how was an American. Uh, PhD program. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to to figure out uh, how it uh, how it works. So I concentrated two years uh, two years in courses. Um, I took many courses in the math department. That was a characteristic of the uh, Minnesota training. If you had if you had a, a theory inclination, they send you to the math department. So I did my real analysis. Um, and uh, I also learned the art of uh, taking courses uh, a bit opportunistically. So my first year, I, I saw that uh, Kurvich was going to leave for Harvard next year. He left for Harvard during two years. He came back, but uh, but uh, I saw that I would only have one year with Kurvich. So I took an advanced course with him. And that was quite a, quite a, quite a training uh -huh. uh, to jump from Spain to an advanced course with Hurwitz. Uh, but um, I was doing well, and so yeah. uh, uh, so um, and after a while, I felt very comfortable. One a common experience on on, on non-Americans getting to the U.S. is when you arrive there. And you and you uh, you feel intimidated, and when you cross paths with fellow students, uh, uh, you think that uh, they are all Samuelsons in, uh, in potency. So they uh, and so that what are you the the imposter syndrome, right? Uh, uh, but uh, so I, I I see you are not superstitious. Yeah, that, these cats will not leave me uh, alone. <laughs> uh, so uh, there is a bit of an imposter syndrome, but if I had an imposter syndrome, um, uh, in uh, by by February or March, uh, it was gone. Oh, okay, it was gone. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that I could. Uh, you could do I it. Could move. I could do it, and I could perform normally. Yeah. Well, tell me about your, uh, t tell me about that dissertation experience. So, I mean, th this, this was work that you, what, what, did, what would, where did this work end up becoming? Uh, my dissertation uh, ended up being in consumer, in consumer theory, and it was the result of two, uh, the union of two, of two things. Uh, on the one hand, uh, there was in Minnesota a lot of interest in uh, in consumer theory, in reveal uh, preference uh, theory. There was a book uh, 
promoted by Richter, Chipman, Sonnenschein, and Hurwitz uh, on all these uh, topics. Uh, so I became very imbued in, in, in consumer theory. Ah, okay, okay. At the same time, I was doing uh, general equilibrium. Uh, and in general equilibrium at that time, uh, uh, the... Uh, the the light that was coming from California was uh, strong, so it was the the Berkeley School with uh, Debre, the three of value. Yeah, uh, Minnesota. One of the core, the legend equilibrium course was uh, reading and studying uh, um, uh, the the Debre's theory of value, which, by the way, I ended up translating into Spanish. Uh -huh. uh, with uh, with a, with a colleague, uh, really, a couple of years later, um, uh, so uh, I was uh, pretty interested. You could say fascinated by uh, by by this. Then something interesting happened in the uh, summer of 1970. Um, the uh, the summer meeting of the the European meeting the Econometric Society was in Barcelona, uh, which was uh, something notable because that was in the Franco period and there were not that many meetings like that. And uh, so I saw that was my second year in graduate school. So I saw that it was in Barcelona. So I thought I, I, mean, I had to be there. So I, um, I wrote um, a paper which was accepted and it's perfectly forgettable. I, it was probably accepted because I was a local, I, I thought that I was a local from Barcelona and some affirmative action had to be practiced. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, oh, I was in that meeting. And there I heard uh, the presidential address of Gerard de Breu. Oh. And he uh, posed, uh, posed a problem, um, I could even say the problem, that uh, smooth preference adds in the set of preferences. Uh, and uh, when I went back to Minnesota, um, I solved a problem. It, it wasn't too difficult, actually. Uh -huh. uh, um, uh, at least I had a good idea that worked. Huh. And, um, uh, and, uh, so that was my thesis. Was oh. with Richter. Was with uh, Richter, and that that I guess was the door to the postdoc in Berkeley, which came after. Was a postdoc. Uh, uh, financed by the grants of uh, of Debre, uh, which was very kind, and uh, and uh, uh, and uh, and Dan McFadden, who had been a, an, a who had been a Minnesota PhD, and so was friends with Richter. Yeah. So. Richter Sonnenschein uh, recommended me, and uh, they 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 provided a postdoc for me in Berkeley. Yeah, and there I went. Originally, my my I always thought that I would be coming back to Spain uh, at the end uh, of uh, my four years, and uh, that wasn't. And I had an offer, so I can. Uh, I had an offer to come to come back, uh, but um, 
uh, at that point it uh, it paid my while to spend time in Berkeley because I I could always uh, go back uh, later. Yeah. Usually that ends with uh, not going back. It's like uh, an, uh, an open-ended problem, an open-ended horizon without transversality condition. It yeah. always pays to to uh, to do it next year. In my case, eventually uh, I did. Uh, my wife always uh, jokes with me that when we uh, when we met and decided to uh, to spend a life together, mm. I I told her that uh, I I really wanted to keep open the possibility of going back, and um, uh, and and then she thought I had forgotten about it, and uh, twenty five years later. Uh, we did it, and she was quite enthusiastic about it because by then she was very socialized in uh, in Spain in Spain too. So yeah. we had in my thesis and uh, and Berkeley. Yeah. So you go um, to Berkeley. So had Doctor Debru won the Nobel Prize by the time you go to Berkeley? No, no, no. no. That, that was uh, I was already at Harvard when he got the Nobel Prize. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Did y'all become close while you were at? I mean, so yeah, yes, yes. I was uh, I was a member of his school. Let's say I had my office close to him. Okay. I, I would uh, I would talk to him uh, often. Although, as as uh, as you investigate a bit, he was uh, um, uh, not aloof, but it, he was a very serious and composed uh, mm. person, always speaking in full sentences. Mm. And always thinking very well what he was saying, mm. but yes, I was uh, I I was very close to, uh, uh, to him. People consider me uh, one of his close followers. Well, so uh, when go ahead, is uh, you could ask. Uh, I was in Minnesota uh, at a time where uh, where um, Hurwitz was uh, setting up. The uh, the research program of incentives. So mm -hmm. uh, I heard the term incentive compat compatibility uh, from my very early uh, academic uh, academic life. The idea of using Nash equilibrium, mm -hmm. uh, etc. Uh, I I follow the the general equilibrium uh, line. Not at that time, this, uh, let's say, mechanism, uh, mechanism uh, game theory line. And I have wondered uh, sometimes why, because it was intellectually very stimulating, uh, very stimulating too, in fact, uh, very stimulating. And I guess the answer probably is those two years that uh, Hurwitz went to Harvard. Oh, really? That, um, he went, so uh, I follow another track, but probably he had not gone to Harvard. Uh, maybe uh, I would have become uh, a mechanism design person. Who knows? Hmm. So wait. Hmm. So your research agenda it forms at Berkeley. What's going to be your your long term research agenda? You can. It's not really yeah. at Minnesota. It's at it's at Berkeley. No, it's Minnesota. It's, oh, it's Minnesota me too, because okay. Minnesota sun and shine, etc. Uh, uh, Richter, also Hurwitz. No, no. It, it, those two things are not that separated. Got it. Uh, yeah, part of the same, uh, uh, of the same. But yes, uh, in 
in in in Berkeley, I became a, a general equilibrium Berkeley type. Mm, mm, mm. So had you not gone to Berkeley, but you had stayed, what what would have been the different kind of counterfactual uh, Mascalel that I could be talking to right now? He would have not been. What what what's sort of the piece that you get at? But I just don't have a quite good understanding of the history and the geography of everything. Yes, well, uh, if I if say take uh, my colleague uh, there, which is, which uh, was John John Roberts. Yeah. John Roberts went to uh, to Northwestern, and in Northwestern uh, concentrated on uh, on mechanism, uh, right? On, on mechanism design. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm agree with from there. Then, uh, then uh, a number of the people in uh, in Northwestern moved to Stanford, and Stanford became uh, a hotbed of uh, of uh, of mechanism design. Right. Uh, and uh, then the the uh, the seed uh, that uh, Hurwitz uh, set at Harvard in those two years. That he was at Harvard, an Arrow at Harvard, Arrow Hurwitz, mm. and seminars they they do there. Those generated uh, Maskin, uh, Myerson, uh, Gibbard, mm. uh, 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 etc. So yeah. who knows? Anyhow, yeah, you I could have seen yourself the, doing that. That was ex that that you could have imagined yourself like Dr. Roberts. That would have been interesting doing mechanism design. Of course, it would have been interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. I am not that narrow, so right because uh, you're very the, creative. Yeah, uh, I am interested by everything. If I'm yeah, interested yeah, yeah. in history too, right. except that I am incompetent in economic history. Now I couldn't do yep. economic economic history, but uh, mechanism design uh, is uh, and, and game theory uh, um, intellectually very important, and they have been very important in economics. And in fact, let me say that in uh, in uh, a second in in, in uh, second part in my life, this one more concentrated in Europe. Uh, since '95, I did. Uh, I'm jumping over Berkeley and Harvard. In '95, when I came to Barcelona, I concentrated in game in game in game theory, game theory yeah. connected. But in game theory, in a long research program on adaptive game theory uh, that was after writing the textbook, yeah. uh, joined with with uh, Sergio Har, who is a professor at the Hebrew University. Uh -huh. So that's uh, my main chunk of research life. I see. I see. So. The Berkeley is a general equilibrium. Uh, Harvard is also general is also general equilibrium yeah. with some excursions into game theory. And when I when I come to Barcelona, it's uh, it's uh, game theory. Well, you know, so I'm an empiricist, and so the co-authoring for an empiricist has got this you know particular kind of division of labor, and and I'm sure that division of labor amongst co-authors who are empiricists now is different than it would have been 30 years ago. But I can imagine, I don't want to assume that the division of labor in like micro theory looks the exact same. So I'm just kind of curious when you get to Harvard 
and you start to kind of be in a society of really top theory, micro theory people, really one of the, the sort of the, the home, you know, such a central part of the science. What exactly are you getting from your colleagues then that ends up being just so important in the, 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 the progress that you make in your in your research agenda? Let, let, let's say, uh, uh, let me start uh, uh, a bit, uh, a bit, um, let me backtrack a bit uh-huh. um, about, uh, say, first about Berkeley to see, yeah. to, to see the difference. Uh, Berkeley, I was in a group uh, which was uh, very focused on general theory, and there uh, were people all around the world came through, so there, were, uh, there were always lots of Europeans, um, uh, etc. So it was a large group of permanent visitors and visitors uh, uh, very focused on uh, on on a specific on a specific area. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the specific area means with contact with lots of with 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 lots of uh, people, but uh, it was considered in general criticism, and I did work in many aspects of it. And in but in particular, I. I wrote a monograph, uh, generally from a differentiable point of view. So methodologically, I I became for a, for some years a specialist in applying uh, differentiability methods into mm. uh, into into general equilibrium. Okay. Uh, so it was it was it was uh, very very focused. Mm. Uh, when I uh, move uh, moved to Harvard. Uh, I had uh, um, I, I had colleagues in 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 theory, uh, um, but Harvard was not concentrated on a single area of uh, theory. It was more I was doing general equilibrium. Uh, um, um, Eric Maskin, uh, when he came, he came after me. Yeah, uh, was doing. Uh, uh, mechanism uh, design. My uh, Jerry Green was doing a little bit of everything, uh, but uh, let's say uh, asymmetric, asymmetric information. Mike Winston, industrial organiza- organization. If we talk, if we say uh, micro theories, it was more, uh, more, more uh, varied. That also showing the students. Uh, the students at Berkeley, the students I relate to, were very good, but they were t- tending to work in, in general equilibrium. At, uh, at Harvard, it was broader, and I interacted with uh, many students which uh, which were not working in general equilibrium, but working in, in other things. Uh, so that was one difference. Uh, between the between the two the, between the, the two the two places, but both in Berkeley and in at Harvard, um, I was uh, involved in the uh, first year uh, micro micro sequence, mm. and in the case of Harvard, from that year from that first year micro sequence uh, came out the. the the textbook with uh, Winston and Green. That came out. When did you? Where? How? What year were you after you graduated when you started that that book? Uh, 
when that uh, the book took five years to write, it was published in in uh, ninety five. So around ninety, uh, the three of us decided to write the book. But it was an evolution from our uh, and from, from the lecture our, notes from the our, sequence at Harvard. Yes. Oh, so it's basically micro one, two, three. It was like the whole Harvard micro theory sequence. Micro semesters. First oh, year. I did not know first, that. First year, uh, first year graduate uh, graduate sequence. Of did course, you have a the book is very thick and we didn't yeah. cover everything, but uh, but uh, the the skeleton of the of the book, uh, the lectures at Harvard in the first year graduate. Oh, so so it's like there's a there's a there's a green section. There's a Winston section. There's like a masculine. It's like y'all had your classes are clearly, yes. but does it ha can I mean actually now that I don't really know is it to an astute reader could they tell that the voice changes. Like the 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 overall literary kind of voice we, of it starts to we, change. We make an effort to we make an effort to avo to avoid that. Uh, uh -huh. so I cannot say if a, if a reader could could distinguish. Probably a reader that knows uh, our work. Yeah, could uh, determine who wrote the first draft of each of the of the chapters. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we work over all them. We discuss them together. Look, um, I did. Um, I have written a monograph, mm. and I have written a book, and then collective things. But I have written a textbook. Those are very different uh, endeavors. In writing a monograph, you can think to your to oneself that uh, the commercial success. Let's say. Let me put it. Uh, crudely that way, yeah. doesn't matter. You are writing for the ages. Right. Uh, so you have to do it well. You write for the ages. You don't have to worry too much about uh, making it uh, enormously accessible because if it is good, the ages will discover it. Uh, right, right. And so you write your book, you leave there. If it doesn't sell, doesn't matter. I mean, 20 years... 25 years from now, people will know what you did. Yep. A textbook is not like that. A textbook either is adopted or or uh, or, or it's a flop. Yep. Uh, so you have to devote lots of time to the pedagogical aspects. Yeah. So you have to work a lot into, uh, into writing, rewriting, trying with the students, uh, doing it in class, yep. uh, etc. And so... Something we did, the three authors, is to read each other's chapters. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. So when that book was written, what was it replacing in the profession? What were people using instead? Were they just using articles or was there a main uh, book? Uh, If I if I say I don't remember, uh, will it sounds uh, presumptuous? Uh, but I don't really remember. Uh, I, I think um, I, I don't really. Uh, I mean, uh, well, there's like these little many books. years. There many years there have been Henderson and Quan, but that was before. Uh, then there was. Uh, 
there was Varian. Yeah, there's uh, Varian. But that doesn't seem remotely Varian. comparable. Uh, well, I mean, uh, the, the product had to be differentiated. But yeah. Varian uh, did a very successful uh, graduate course. Then he went to undergraduate. Yeah. Uh, uh, we uh, follow, uh, in a sense, uh, a different strategy. Ours is also graduate, but we pushed it to be overgraduate. That is to say, uh, our text is probably more demanding, more demanding that uh, um, it's, it's demanding. Right. Uh, so we didn't aim for it to be adopted, uh, uh, for it to be easy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. We didn't uh, think uh, collectively. Then each of us has done has done uh, other things, and I think that Winston wrote an undergraduate text, uh, an undergraduate text, not um, uh, of, uh, uh, of, of of micro or uh, of industrial. Uh, any, anyhow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but in that in that text, we 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 wrote it demanding in a deliberate way, you know, in a purposely way, and uh, so for adoption at uh, at top places, and that work, and that uh, that work. Huh? Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know exactly uh, what it displays. Maybe it, 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 maybe it did not displays uh, anything. Mm. Uh, let me add, just not to be misunderstood, uh, that Barian's uh, uh, textbook uh, is a great, uh, yeah, is a, is 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 a great uh, is a great book. Um, there was also another very good uh, book uh, uh, at, at, at that time and now, which is uh, David Krebs. Oh yeah. Uh, David Krebs' book is also very good. Is is uh, I could say that uh, talking about textbook, it, it, it is more personal, right? Oh, so, um, um, uh, ours is uh, more conventional in the sense uh, that Krebs uh, is more personal. More personal. I mean. Uh, it's got a different kind of conversational style or something? Uh, 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 yes, it's, it's, you recognize it's Krebs. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's a virtue. I think you don't recognize, uh, maybe because we are three authors, uh, we try not to be recognizable as a, as a single uh, strong point of view. Maybe mm. I mean to... Uh, to Krebs. His book, his, his book is, is really very good. So were you surprised at how, what a, what a impactful textbook it became? Has, was there a point where you look back and you, and you guys thought this is a much more uh, influential book than we were expecting? Or was it always, I mean, it's, it seems like it's, you've trained decades of, of economists. You know, it's got to be really, really uh, awe-inspiring. Let, let me be honest with with uh, with you. When one produces a textbook, one doesn't know uh-huh. uh, if it uh, if it works well. Uh, 
surprise is not the word because in, I mean, it, then it would mean that uh, you don't believe in your. Anything that happened would be would be a surprise. There would be uncertainty, but nothing was a surprise. So we we uh, we were uh, of course we we were glad. I, I yeah. will tell you. I will tell you what I am surprised at. I am surprised. Uh, I hope not to be misunderstood. I am surprised that um, that it has not been uh, that it has not been uh, uh, overcome by by another by another text. Right. Uh, the the the, uh, the publisher uh, that of course has publishing in their hands uh, for um, for a while keep asking us uh, to revise and even suggesting to us uh, that why don't you do as other textbooks and start cycling authors. Oh. Uh, incorporate new authors and then uh, the old authors uh, fade away yeah. and uh, actually I thought that could have been a good idea uh, we were not up to uh, up to repeating the effort to to put it uh, or to, to keep doing revisions yeah. because each of us uh, had followed its own had followed its own way Right. And we were involved in other things, and uh, we were exhausted at the, at the. And that could have been that could have, that could have happened. It did not happen, mm. uh, and, uh, so it did not happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, ah. what 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 can I can I tell what can I tell you? But sometimes I'm embarrassed, huh? Because <laughs> because in the last twenty five twenty seven years. Things have happened in micro. Yeah, right, right. So it's just a matter of time, probably that. Yes, but uh, it'll be I hope that when now uh, micro is taught, uh, our book is used as a background right. for the for the half the course. Uh, yeah, uh, the more, uh, but but the the more recent developments are, uh, are incorporated. Yeah, you know. Uh, I didn't leave us a lot of time to talk about this, but you know, the it's, there must've been some, now that I've heard your, your story as a young man, now the, the sort of the mid career part where you go back to Spain and uh, go into public service, I guess that, that wouldn't have, when, when did that happen? When did you go into politics okay. in Spain? Um, I, I come back in 90, in 95, uh, I used to say when people ask me how it is that, uh, you, uh, came from the United States from Harvard to, uh, to Spain, uh, uh, what does it take to do that? I'm not the only one that has made this jump to, uh, to, uh, Europe from a consolidated position in the, in the U S. I think it takes four things. One, uh, one uh, feeling uh, uh, there are two kind of immigrants in the U.S. Huh? Mm -hmm. The immigrant, 
that adapts that become an American after three years, mm -hmm. and the ones that have their head permanently in the uh, main square of their village in uh, back uh, back in Europe. And I was one of those, and uh, those look from America a bit ridiculous. Uh, so uh, if you are one of those, uh, there is always a pull to to perhaps do it. Uh, that's one thing. The second is the family. The family. The family has to be amenable, and my family was, and I am eternally grateful to, to them. Actually, worked very well for the family. We left our older son in the. In the U.S., he went to college when we we came to Spain. Mm. Uh, uh, and these days, uh, my three, uh, our three, my two sons and daughters, our three children are in the U.S. and Mexico. Uh -huh. The second thing is there has to be a project mm. which is more than more than uh, more than academic, uh, more than intellectual. Right. Because then uh, nothing can overcome uh, uh, Harvard or Berkeley. Uh, and in my case, it was uh, participating in the founding and the development of the economics department of Pompeu Fabra University, which was a new university. Okay. And this is 1995? Is this like 95 when you come back? 95, yes. Okay. The university had been founded two years before, and I became progressively involved. Mm. And the third, uh, you have to have uh, some uh, some economic responsibility or some economic uh, or some economic leeway to uh, to uh, to accept the fact that the economic conditions are not the same in Europe that that in the that in the US anyhow. Um, so. So I made that jump, the and, uh, and then I became involved. I, I divided my time in part. I continued doing research, and in part uh, it was institutional building. In the part that I was doing research, I oriented my research towards uh, towards uh, game uh, game theory. Yeah, and as I have said before, with Sergio Han from the Hebrew University. And uh, probably because of this of this change of uh, field, um, my uh, most cited paper is uh, I, I wrote between between Barcelona and Jerusalem with uh, mm -hmm. with with Sergio with Sergio Har mm -hmm. on, on on adaptive dynamics in in repeated uh, in repeated games. Okay. Uh, so I I say that. To indicate that uh, I remain alive um, uh, scholarly, huh? yeah. and um, then the institution building, at some point, it drive into uh, into into getting into a government position. So in, 19, in 2000, oh. in 2000, uh, I was appointed, was suggested to me, and I accepted becoming uh, a Catalan member of the Catalan government mm. in, uh, on, with the responsibility of uh, university and research matters. Oh. So this was like a, like a glorified dean position. And oh. It was very natural 
to get into it since uh, I have been already five years involved in promoting in promoting research in economics and then I, I jump into promoting research uh, in everything. It's a dean. It's it, the thing that no, would it's make it's not a, it's it wasn't a dean, but the thing that I should think in my mind is there must be some sort of close connect, closer connection with the government and the the educate the university system. Is that is that right? Okay, the the the, the Catalan government uh, has uh, one of the ministers of the economic of the Catalan government is the Minister of Econo of Universities and Research. Oh, got it. Universities and Research uh, funded and, and, and administered by uh, the regional governments in Spain. Yeah, yeah. Like in Germany, for example. Huh? So I was the government, I had the, the government political responsibility uh, for uh, promoting, uh, for directing and promoting university and research matters in the in the in the in the in, in Catalonia. How many universities were you were you overseeing? Uh, in in, uh, in Catalonia, there are twelve universities, of which uh, seven are public, uh, two are semi-public, and three are private. Mm. But, with all of the I was involved with all of them but besides that there is also a sector of um, of uh, research uh, centers of which uh, there are almost 40 and uh, I was also I was also on that oh. but in my in my philosophy let's say for promoting uh, uh, promoting research uh, was very straightforward and it was uh, attract talent and retain talent. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, so um, my my picture uh, was, um, um, Europe is increasing its commitment to research. There is uh, more and more money uh, and resources at the European uh, level. Mm -hmm. Uh, to build up uh, excellency in Spain, uh, it, it, it needs uh, European uh, resources. We, we will not do only with the Spanish uh, resources. And uh, the university resources are very competitive. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, if we want access to, uh, to, um, uh, to attract European resources, we need... Uh, we need to compete at the European level, and we need uh, and we need uh, talent at the European level. So uh, that was the mantra um, of uh, of my uh, of my political my political agenda. Mm. Uh, and we copied experiences from France, etc., and we build up a good a good policy of attracting research, which has been which has been very, very successful. Were you able to, so when you were in that position, you were still also a faculty member? Oh, you yes. I was a member on leave. And during my, my that first period, uh, uh, 2000, 2005, I was still able to, uh, to keep active. Uh, I mean, less productive than before, but still active. 
because uh, of the fortunate fact that I was collaborating with Sergio, Sergio Hart, and so I would organize my life on, uh, even in politics, I could uh, take uh, weeks off, well-planned, well-planned weeks off, and then I will fly to Jerusalem and we will close ourselves up and we'll work together. And conversely, uh, he will take weeks off and come to Barcelona and I will uh, clear up commitments during that week and we will, uh, and we will uh, work, out, work out very intensively so that still allow us to keep out uh, with our uh, research um, uh, agenda. Well, so when you were doing that, did you ever start, was there a point where you started to see that you're, you might want to expand your, your public service to go even beyond that? Was there a point where you thought, you know, I would like to have an even larger career as a politician? Uh, not really, not really. They, my that first stage ended in 2005. I went back to uh, I went back to academia. I went back to academia. I went to Pompeu Fabra. Um, I kept uh, the institution building uh, um, inclination and uh, and with other people who we were in, involved, other people from other universities, uh, Salvador Barbera, for example. Uh, we were involved in founding the uh, the Barcelona School Barcelona School of Economics. That was right. a time where the Toulouse School of Economics was founded, and the Paris School of Economics was founded, oh, and the yeah. School of Economics was founded. Oh, and so that was a wave, uh, a wave of Europe of uh, of let's say uh, imitations of the London School. Right. Oh, I never even noticed that. I never even yeah. noticed that. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to say that I wanted to do the uh, uh, London School of Economics on the beach. <laughs> and, uh, then uh, my uh, colleagues chastened uh, me and said it was not serious uh, to say that and say, okay, I'll change it. I will not say the London School uh, by the beach. I will say the London School of Economics by the sea. <laughs> well so okay um so it must be that so, so, uh, we were part of a trend of upgrading of upgrading uh, mm -hmm. with an anglo-saxon model got it the the uh the teaching of economics in europe i see how many of those were there Last time I was also president of the European Economic Association, was sure. involved in the European uh, state. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so so you there there must be though over this period of time, there's some kind of there's this growing political tension within Spain and and Cata and uh Catalan Catalania. Is that right though? I know that it's more yes, not yet, not there yet. must be things going on. Not yet, not yet. So uh, let me keep. Uh, 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 we are now by 2007, 2008. Huh? Yeah. Uh, then uh, uh, the let's say uh, my life as a, uh, as a public uh, manager of uh, overall research caught with me again. 
And it was in, in Europe, it was founded the European Research Council. I don't know, you know what the European Research Council is? Mm -mm. No. It's, it's the analog of the NSF. Oh, okay, got it. Uh, right. The analog of the NSF, it gives uh, large amounts of money to individual researchers, has been a very successful institution. It was uh, founded in two, uh, in 2007 uh, after many years of preparation and and it wasn't it was uh, an agreement between let's say the scientific community that felt the need of a of a national science foundation and the and the European Union which wanted to wanted to get attachment of the uh, of the uh, of the more top scientific communities out of that was created the, the by by now it distributed uh, i think close to to um, two billion uh, euros uh, a year and mm -hmm. has become very important in Europe. Anyhow, uh, some some people asked me to postulate myself for the position of Secretary General, and uh, and uh, that uh, position which was recently created. And then I was selected as the second secretary general. Okay. So uh, was a first, and the, uh, so in in two thousand and seven I was selected for to start in two thousand and ten as uh, secretary general of this. So that was one year in Brussels. Very, I learned a lot. I learned how the European Union works from inside, from the European Commission uh, works from inside. And I get, I got also more experience in, in the wide field of, uh, of uh, science, not just social, social science. That uh, lasted uh, one year. It could, it could have last longer, but one year was enough for me. Uh, so in 2010, I came back, uh, free of commitments. Mm. Yes, uh, free of commitments, uh, and then it was uh, there were elections in Catalonia, uh, and uh, the the political people that won the elections uh, I felt an affinity with, and um, I was asked uh, I was asked uh, to take the position of uh, finance. Minister, uh, I could have said uh, this is not uh, my specialty. Uh, there is neither promotion of research or, uh, or or microeconomics. But then I thought, uh, one, uh, I am an economist, right? So I'm supposed to be a macroeconomist at the beginning of my life. Mm. So. Um, I, I mean, I, I could manage to. I could manage to uh, to run a budget, right? Um, and also, uh, university and research ended up being in the same in the same ministry. So, in a sense, I I got back to university and research, although I couldn't devote time to that. I I, I appointed a second for university and research, and devoted my time in the years that follow uh, to the finance part. Uh, it was also stimulating, professionally stimulating. I took that position when the crisis got already started. 
and when it was clear that the financial crisis will, will be monumental. Uh, so I say that I have been in government in, in two different in two different situations. One uh, in the first one was in 2000, 2005. It was a time of expanding budgets. The second was a time of contracting budgets. Mm. And it's, not, it's not the same. It's probably as important one from the other, mm. but uh, but it's not the same. And mm. you know, but professionally, it is uh, it is as relevant one as uh, as the other. Mm. So. Um, and that, that was my period from uh, from 2010 to 2015, where I was in, in charge of, of the economy, as mm. I said, that's the research too, but the economy, finance, uh, the public budget, uh, with two crises going on. So one, the economy, ah. the financial crisis, the world financial crisis. Second, the the uh, Catalan uh, political uh, political crisis. Yeah. So for the first one, um, does anything in your background as a an economist prepare you for the things that you had to do uh, during that? You know, running the you said running the economy. I mean, uh, did you find that you had the skill sets, or uh, you know, you had the you felt I mean, I just can't even, I, I would not, that I would not be, I can't even imagine what skills you needed to go from being a, uh, a successful academic and then to switch. It's, you know, I think about Janet Yellen uh, and she sort of had that specialized track her whole career. I don't feel like I've seen as many people do the, I just can't think of right off the top of my head, somebody that has a full career as an academic and then has this full career as a, as a government servant, the way that you have? Um, okay. Uh, um, first, I, I don't know if I was successful or not. That uh, other people should say it. And um, perhaps if you ask around, you will find that uh, uh, your uh, wonder uh, uh, could be real, re real reservation. So it's not for me to say. Sure. Uh, the, that said, um i i i had always uh i was always very political yeah right uh, even in the years in even in the 30 years where that was i was a purely an academic um uh, uh, i read the new york times every day and mm -hmm. uh, financial times uh, and the the economist i have read since i was 18 mm. uh, 18 years old so um that inclination was there. Uh, it's true that I didn't, didn't have the experience of uh, running a budget, uh, and then you have to uh, you have to know who can do it and find right. the collaborators. And so uh, the um, and, uh, the life of a politician. It's uh, I mean, let, let me put it that way. The uh, the life of of, of a politician of a politician in a responsibility of a ministry is uh, let's say forty percent of the time is uh, shaking hands mm. uh, with uh, mayors um, people you cannot delegate that 
you, you have to do it yourself. People get offended if the minister doesn't want to see them. So, so 40% of the time is representation. It takes some skills, representation, but uh, negotiating perhaps, but uh, uh, 40% of the time is putting out fires. Yeah. And I assure you that there's a fire a day. Right. Uh, and the rest of the time is, uh, is substance. And so you cannot hope to run a, to run an institution if all the substance there is there is in it is the substance you can pretend to put in twenty percent or fifteen percent of of, uh, of 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 fifteen percent of your uh, of fifteen percent of your of your time. Uh, so this means that a good politician, the first thing it has to do is to devote time to select very, very, very competent uh, people right. and, then tr- and then trust them. In the case of uh, universities and research, that's what I did. Uh, I selected and the, to the person I say, I, I told uh, him, you have my complete trust, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I assign whatever you whatever you give me, and then I didn't think I'm a, I am being very schematic. Huh? He would talk to me once in a while. So uh, selecting people is the key. If you select the right people and you have some common sense, uh, things will run fine. You, you, right. will, you, will do the, uh, you will do the representation and you will put out the fires and the people you have appointed will do the work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you survived that financial crisis. And then, so tell me about what leads up with the, the, uh, the vote for independence. Is, is that the correct way to describe it? Uh, yes, but it's important to, uh, to keep uh, the, the, uh, the dates right. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the disagreement, the, the the conservative government in Spain wins elections in 2000 and, and, and 2011. Okay. Then there is increasing discordance. I don't want not going to, uh, in matters of substance. There will be increasing increasing tension with uh, with Catalonia uh, that arises from the fact that uh, the uh, previous to the, Previous to 2010, there has been a new autonomy law, which had been negotiated, it had been voted, and uh, then in 2010, the Constitutional Court uh, uh, declared uh, many of his, uh, of his principal, of principal, acts, uh, principal dispositions unconstitutional. Uh, so there have been a whole a whole process of political change, a great political change, culminated on a referendum uh, in 2006. Mm. Uh, then 2010, so something had to happen in 2010. And so uh, uh, the intention was to start a dialogue with the, gov- with the government, the conservative government. Relations had to, the possibilities of dialogue had always been better with the left government. But not with the Conservative Government, 2000, and that goes nowhere. And in 2012, there are elections again, 
in Catalonia, the elections again, and then there is a big surge of um, the uh, pro-independence uh, uh, pro-independence sentiment with uh, two parties which uh, align themselves with the pro-independence uh, position, including the, the ones that got appointed appointed me. That's two, 2012. Then there is a progressive uh, thing that leads in 2017 uh, to the referendum and the declaration of independence. Mm. Uh, that was in 2017. I was in government until 2015. I left government in 2015. Oh. oh, I see. Okay, got it, got it. So I, I was Were you not- surprised, Dr. Masco? Were you surprised by those uh, that growing... Uh, vote for independence that you were watching happening while you were in government? Was you, was that something that was not surprising? Uh, I was not surprised. I was leading because uh, because I was on the, in the prudent side and, the, and I was uh, preaching caution, uh, but I was not, sur- I was not surprised uh, because I think there were grounds for it. Mm. Uh, and, uh, uh, but um, why, fact, why Catalonia? Huh? Why does Catalonia uniquely, of all the regions of Spain, why is it sort of in this unique position where it would have a valid claim for independence, but not other parts? I don't know the I don't know the history and the politics at all very well. No, it's it's not unique. The Basque country is in exactly the same position. Yeah, I knew about the Basque country too. So it's, uh, it's two is already a lot, no? And, uh, and Galicia partially so. Um, uh, because, uh, basically, because Spain is culturally not a unified uh, country, that's a fact. Mm. Uh, there, are, uh, there are, let's say, the Catalans that speak Catalan and have its own history and its own, its own history, uh, and the Basques are the same. The Galicians, uh, the same. The matrix of uh, what is Spain today is Castilian, and uh, Catalonia is not uh, is not Castile, mm. uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, Spain has model its political model uh, on France, uh, which is a very centralized model. Got it. That in France it was successful because it managed to um, absorb uh, all the cultural difference into uh, into a unified uh, French culture. Mm. Uh, Spain did not succeed in doing that. So mm. uh, uh, we Catalans feel Catalan, speak Catalan, respect everybody, everybody else, but want to be respected too. Yeah. So uh, it's... Um, uh, uh, the big divide is if uh, is if Spain is organized uh, accepting that it's a multinational a multinational country like Britain. I mean, I am impressed when I go to Britain and I hear the United Kingdom uh, is composed of four nations: you know? uh, right. Ireland, uh, Scotland, Wales, and England. Well, that that that's uh, in Spain you will not hear this of, officially. Uh, so that's that's the. Um, is that uh, true, though? You would say in Spain, is it a country of sixteen nations or something like that? No, sixteen nations, no, but four, yes. 
Four. Okay. Whatever. Uh, four, I include Galician, but yeah. that's for the Galicians to say. Right. Uh, right. But, but three, certainly. Um, uh, the Basque, the Catalans, and they have uh, some uh, very strong personalities. And so uh, we would like uh, to be like Quebec. Right. Right. Uh, be fine, and it will be fine to live in Spain, which is like Canada. Actually, it will be okay to live in a Spain, which is like Britain, or on the United Kingdom, or even like Germany, which mm -hmm. is a federal, which is a federal state. It's culturally, right. it's culturally more, more homogeneous. And Spain is not homogeneous culturally, and uh, and is uh, and is centralized like France. Yeah, a compromise uh, could be if it was a, it if it was a federation or whatever. Yeah. So um, due to so this when topic, is the vote? When is the vote for independence that's successful? It was successful. It depends on how you look at it. It's the first, it was the first of October. It it cannot be called successful or unsuccessful. It was a vote right. and declared illegal by the. Uh, by the uh, by the uh, central government even yeah. so and uh, over two million people voted uh, but that was uh, 40 percent of the electorate uh, and uh, and it was repressed in the state which uh, i don't know if you saw it by uh, confrontation with the police it was a quite a quite an unpleasant uh, quite an unpleasant uh, day and uh, then that the confrontation of that day and the re the repressive attitude and the police the police beatings etc intensified the the heat and then uh, the 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 Catalan government of the moment made a big mistake which was uh, proclaiming an independence that they knew was was uh, was uh, um, was impossible, so that was mm. a big mistake. Uh, mm -hmm. I emphasize I was out of that in in two thousand and two thousand and fifteen. Mm -hmm. And uh, these days, I I am happy to see that uh, matters are, are coming back to uh, to. Uh, uh, tension has gone down and it's, it keeps going down and the uh, current uh, Spanish government there is a much better understanding mm. with uh, with the with the Catalan parties so you experienced some personal uh blowback from it though right you were you had your uh your your assets seized because you yeah. were been in the ministry uh uh, yes, the uh, the Court of Accounts, the, the Tribunal de Cuentas, Court of Accounts, uh, which is an administrative body, it's not a judicial body, it has administrative responsibilities, but it can fine, and worse than fines, uh, he, he can ask, uh, it, it can ask that you put the money before the before the, the 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 judgment before the trial yeah hmm? uh, so uh, oh at some point so uh, they went back and decided that some of the things that uh, 
that were done in, uh, before 2015 uh, uh, could be held responsible for things that happened in 2017. Mm. Since I was responsible of the uh, of the budget, uh, so I was overall responsible of the budget. So uh, if there were budget, uh, if there were budget allocations which in retrospect uh, were uh, thought uh, uh, suspect. Um, um, uh, they were in, in retrospect were thought suspect. Uh, then uh, then uh, I could be put in administrative uh, in administrative trial. And while this did not take place, actually it will take place the 17th of this month. Oh. Uh, so in, uh, in 17 days. Um, uh, we should uh, our our assets will be seized as a precaution of uh, a, as a bond. And oh. that was done. That wait, that's going to happen in this month. The seventeenth of this month. Oh wait, that's when it'll be seized. No, uh, they have already been seized. Actually, we could we could deposit a, a, a bank uh, responded for us. Uh, there was a political. Movement and a, and, a, and a bank has provisionally given a bond for given a bond uh, for for us. Yeah. So the asset at the end was not seized, but there is this bond pending there. Okay. Depending on how this uh, this trial goes, uh, the there will be a claim on us or or yeah. or uh, or, uh, or not. Uh, we, uh, my family and I, decided that um, uh, we will not be worried uh, by it. Uh, the worst that can happen is that uh, we lose uh, we lose uh, some asset. It will will survive. Yeah. Uh, with a bit of uh, with a bit of, uh, but it it may also happen that things end up well. Now there is talk. Of an um, of an amnesty, so it may end up with uh, mm. I having to pay something, or it may end up with uh, I having to pay it, uh, nothing. In both cases, uh, in both cases, uh, so uh, well, it's no. The other people suffer more. It's uh, interesting so, that and, uh, I had uh, a lot of international solidarity, which I am very grateful. In fact, it had an effect uh, because the 12 members of this, of this court yeah. uh, were, um, which were very militant, uh, mm. very militant, they were viciously militant. Mm. The, the disposition to, uh, to bring us to their trial was made by 11 votes against one. Mm. And the wrote a dissenting vote, uh, argued, very good. So those were replaced. Uh, let's mm. now not get into uh, into the mechanism of replacement. They were replaced. And now uh, only one was kept, which is mm. the one that dissented. And all the other 11 are new. Six appointed by the Conservative Party, six appointed by the Socialist Party. Mm. So the general... It appears that the general configuration of the of the body is more professional than the previous one. Oh, that's so, good. So things couldn't end up. Uh, couldn't yeah. end up. Uh, 
either for professional reasons or for political reasons. Right, right. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, the 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 whole interview, and even in a way, you know, the, the way that you started the interview, it's full circle because... Yeah, from politics said, to politics, no? Yeah, you said as a young man, you got arrested... Fascinated from fascinated by, by economics. <laughs> you, that's right. You, you said as a young man, you were very political and, um, you know, paid for it. And you, you know, you've always, it seems like you've always been willing to pay for your public service. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you've, and you've got this attitude of, I guess it's just, you must, your ability to have that attitude of you're going to be okay with whatever happens. I, I have to think it's because you just have always known it's costly to, to be involved in change. Is that right? That's, uh, that, that's a good way uh, to put it. And since I am still saying something, let me emphasize again, repeat that uh, I got a lot of solidarity from the international economics uh, community. And uh, I am very, very grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're a hero to a lot of people. Uh, they they think if they can uh, pass their micro prelim because your book helped them, there they feel <laughs> affection forever. <laughs> but I I uh, it has really been such a nice nice opportunity to meet you like this, and um, for you to be so open and sharing of your whole life journey. Um, I really appreciate getting to talk to you and to hear this this part of this little bit of your life told to me uh, thanks uh, thanks a lot uh, for asking and uh, my best uh, wishes okay bye Dr. Mm -hmm. Mescal. Gotta see you soon. Gotta see you